A quick note before we start this episode. We found out about Ms. Johansson suing Disney for breach of contract and we recorded this episode the day before. And as you listen to this episode, you will know that on a personal level, we do have an issue with Ms. Johansson and the comments she has made in the past. That being said, on a professional level, if Scarlett Johansson was shortchanged by Disney, she absolutely deserves to be paid every penny she is owed. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to the Marvelous Madams Podcast. We're your hosts, Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. We are burdened with the glorious purpose of talking all things Marvel. Madams, assemble. Hey, everybody. So we are finally getting down to Black Widow today. Yes, and I am so excited. Yeah, this episode is a first for us. Yeah, so we have a bit of a conundrum. I really like the movie. I really didn't like the movie. Yeah, so this is going to be an interesting episode. We have never been quite on such opposite ends before. Yeah, and this is also the first newly released movie that we're covering. Right. So we're doing things slightly differently. Normally we go in a chronological order. Right. And usually we kind of debate things, parse things out a little bit. We're not going to do that this time. So we are going to do a sort of overview discussion of the movie, more like a 20,000 feet level rather than ground (laughs) level. (laughs) you know see what i did there i see it i see it Mm -hmm. yeah so basically we are each going to take turns presenting our view of things mostly amy will be talking about what she really liked about the movie and i will be talking about the problems i had with the movie yeah and i'm sure there will be certain points where we will merge at certain things that we both liked or both disliked yes so at the end of it all, you guys will be able to decide whose side you're on. So are you team Chris or team Amy? With that said, we are going to dive in. So I'm going to set this up by saying that I have about six major overarching issues with the movie. I'm going to go through them bit by bit here. Oh, I feel like I'm back in school. It's fun. I have a problem. <sighs> yes, you do. <laughs> And I feel like I'm back in school and that is not a good thing. There's a reason why I didn't choose the debate group. And there is a reason I actually made it to the finals of my county debate team back in the sixth grade. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. This is, this is going to be a massacre, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Now more than ever, listeners, I need your help. So speaking of massacres, my thoughts on this movie. Oh dear. (laughs) Okay. So my first major issue with this movie is that I felt as somebody who has rewatched MCU films many times, I felt there was blatant plagiarizing from previous Marvel movies. And for me, it showed a laziness on the part of the writers to not give Natasha's, especially, and Yelena fresh material. 
it really felt like they were just handing Natasha some sloppy seconds, just saying, all right, fine, here, kind of vibe. So first off, here we have a movie about two estranged siblings in a dysfunctional family who think their relationship is over, but whoop, turns out they need each other for another adventure. We have the younger, more charismatic sibling outshining the older one. And the younger sibling is also given the best writing out of everyone in the cast. And both writers and director fail to use the title star, in this case, Scarlett Johansson, in the right way. There's also a very muddled tone to the movie. It can't decide whether it wants to be like dark and gritty or funny. And so the tone's all over the place. And then we have a couple really great supporting actors who are not used to their full potential, Rachel Weisz and David Harbour. We have a weak villain that we don't really connect with emotionally. And in the end, the title character has virtually no arc. And all that matters is the way the movie ends for the younger sibling. My friends, that is Thor The Dark World with Sisters. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. There are similarities, obviously. And considering the fact that there are so many movies in the MCU, similarities are bound to crop up. Sure, it happens. Yeah, and I think there's a reason why Yelena is the star of the movie. For one, this is an introduction. This, this movie is essentially a backdoor pilot, if you will, for Yelena to introduce Elena to us and eventually take on this role of Black Widow now that Natasha is dead. And I think the biggest reason why Yelena is given the best material is because Scarlett Johansson doesn't seem to have the punch to be able to carry a movie. You're stealing my material. <laughs> You're stealing my opening statement, counselor. Tough luck. So I want to talk about the overall timing of this movie. I would have loved it if this movie would have come out five or six years ago when it's actually set. If it would have, if it would have come out after Civil War and we would have had Black Widow, it would have been fantastic. But considering that it didn't come out then and now we had all these delays in the movie, it's kind of colored our view of the movie in a way. Now, here's the thing about it that I really, really like. One, there are women galore, and I love it. Well, to be fair, after six weeks of Loki, you have gone from bisexual to fully being a lesbian now, so you are biased. Well, yes, I am biased, and I'm... <laughs> I think one more episode of Loki would have just done it for me, yeah. <laughs> so, right on the cusp. So yes, it's watching this movie after six weeks of Loki was a complete breath of fresh air. And we know how the fandom is with Loki. And I, I love the show, don't get me wrong. And I love Sylvie, absolutely. But the overall fandom about Tom Hiddleston was just getting to me. So having something with no Tom Hiddleston anywhere was amazing. <laughs> I mean, he's a nice guy. God bless you. I mean, you're probably a really nice guy. I wish you all the happiness and success in the world, but just stay away from me. <laughs> yes, clearly my gay is showing. The thing is with this movie that 
this was supposed to come out before we got WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Loki. And when you see this movie, it seems shallow by comparison. But here's the thing. All the Marvel movies are relatively shallow. There are deeper topics that we explore. Absolutely. But it's people like us, like you and me, who go delve deep into it, rewatch the movies and pull out those threads and expand on it. A lot of the movies have throwaway, if you call them throwaway lines about characters, and then we take it and run with it. It's the same thing with Black Widow. So expecting the same kind of character development or depth in a story from like any of the television shows would be unfair for the movie because at the end of the day, Marvel movies are summer blockbuster movies. They're there for people to keep their brains at home and just go enjoy the action and look at all the pretty people and come back home happy. I would say equating the Marvel movies and the television shows would be like equating books to a movie adaptation. If we take Harry Potter or well any of the adaptations that you have, the depth that you get in the book, you don't have the luxury of getting that deep in a movie because of the time constraints. In television shows, you have six, eight, ten episodes where you can really delve into certain aspects of a character or a plot line, but the movie doesn't have the luxury of that time. You absolutely have a point. And I don't disagree with you about the shows versus the movies. Where we diverge is the quality of this one versus the other movies. So, Counselor, may I continue pleading my case? Please. All right, then. All right, so I covered Thor The Dark World. Next, and this one's quick, the whole mask business between Natasha and Melina was done so much more believably in Captain America, The Winter Soldier by Black Widow. And it was also done much better on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. In Black Widow, there was a continuity issue with the wigs and whatnot, and it did not work. Now, I could have dealt with that. If that had been the only thing, no problem. But next we come to what I think is the worst offense, and that is the heavy cribbing from the Avengers. So the whole concept of Dracov's daughter comes from the interrogation scene between Natasha and Loki, which is the turning point of that movie. So that was fine for me, but it's the snowball effect of it as we get through the movie. We have Alexi talking about the girls' ledgers being dripping, gushing red. My face started to grow red at that point. We have Dracov's flying headquarters here, basically a stand-in for the helicarrier. And instead of the villain wanting to get caught and brought aboard the helicarrier, it's the good guys who want to get caught and brought aboard. They just flip it. All right. We have the destruction of the whole place. And today I am going to use the office scene, that whole sequence at the end between Natasha and Dracov in his office to illustrate the main issues that I have with the movie. Okay, so the the whole thing that you have about the mask, that's not really copying because it's the technology in the universe. And if other people are using the technology, it's perfectly fine. 
That's what I keep in saying Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. tried to copy from Captain America. Not really. And by the way, that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fight with Melinda versus Melinda was amazing. Yeah, season three or four, folks. Go watch that. Yeah, fantastic. Again, two women. Amazing. <laughs> You're really flying that flag today. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are certain aspects of the Avengers that have been taken over, but I think that's done intentionally to pay homage or to, well, I don't know, maybe homage may be the wrong word, but to bring a certain sense of continuity to Natasha. Draco's daughter, yes, it's mentioned. Frankly, I don't even remember it because I've not seen the movie 20,000 times like you have. But I do remember the bit about the ledgers dripping red. That's something that Natasha brought up in the Avengers. And this time it was Alexei. And it makes a lot of sense for them to have similar phrasings for certain things because they are in that environment having read in your ledger could be something that's often spoken about in the red room so it makes sense to have those similarities in what they're saying yes it was absolutely intentional but here's the problem if you're going to do an homage to something it has to be done either equally well or better than the original and that is not the case here. There are a number of reasons why. And one of those things is what I feel is ultimately the biggest problem of this movie, and that is Scarlett Johansson. So this entire movie is constrained by her limitations as an actor, which are more on display than ever. Yeah, I agree. So I think Marvel screwed up going back to Age of Ultron in trying to flesh out Natasha's character, okay? Instead of asking ScarJo to give this more emotional performance with that god-awful forced romance, they should have leaned into <laughs> her stoicism and used other techniques and better actors around her to build more of an emotional connection with her and her backstory. The emotional connection was there. We all pretty much loved her from the day we saw her in Iron Man 2 and The Avengers. I do agree that things didn't turn out great after Age of Ultron with her character because they were trying to give her something that she's not very strong at playing characters like that. Yeah. We never really saw that because everyone around her was so fantastic. That it's kind of like, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats and everyone was shining around her so bright that a lot of the light was falling on her too. And we just never got it. Yeah. So what Black Widow made very clear for me is that ScarJo does not have the chops to lead this movie, even with the little emotional core that it has. So throughout the movie, her performance is either weak or it's uneven. And because of that, scenes are underplayed or they're just played for the wrong emotion entirely. And this limits the amount of emotion and the kinds of emotion that the rest of the cast is able to give back to her in any given scene. And this is not entirely her fault, okay? This is not Scarlett Johansson bash day. It's also the fault of the writers and director for not understanding 
her limitations as an actor in failing to use her properly. Okay. And it creates a domino effect throughout the movie. And this is where it veers off from what I said about Thor The Dark World in a general perspective, because it was a different type of laziness in writing that caused the problem for Thor The Dark World. That movie was not constrained by Chris Hemsworth because I will not broker any debate about this. He's a better actor than Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, absolutely. So there was definitely something else at play here. Let's be honest. The reason why we got a Black Widow movie was because everybody was clamoring for it. And Marvel decided, you know, sure, everybody wants a Black Widow movie. We give them a Black Widow movie, knowing that it would be successful. And here's the thing. I like the movie, but I know it has its flaws. Like this wasn't the best female superhero movie out there, or it had the most amazing writing or its stunts were fantastic and the cgi was fantastic which is par for the course for marvel but it didn't have anything exceptional except for florence Pugh. and i'm okay with it because five seven years ago this movie would never have been made having a female superhero as the lead the only reason we have this movie is because of wonder woman which came out in 2017 which did amazingly well, better than any of the other DC movies, and (laughs) Captain Marvel, which came out in 2019, which was, again, a fantastic movie, and it did really well, despite all the, you know, cheetah-stained white guys frothing at their mouths at what Brie Larson was saying. Well, so, you know, But Amy, she wasn't smiling enough. Don't you understand? You know, they can go fuck themselves. It's pretty much all that they're good for anyways. Well, that's... That's all they can really fuck. That's the problem. (laughs) They're doing it already. We don't need to tell them. Yeah, true. And had these movies not done well, we wouldn't have gotten a Black Widow movie. The fact that the Marvel executives were willing to release this movie, even though it's not amazing, it's above average, says a lot about the industry as a whole. And that's why I'm so hopeful and so happy to have a movie like this. So I have different thoughts on that. We'll get to those later. For now, I want to come back to our villain, Dracov, played by Ray Winstone. So for me, this storyline was missing an entire prequel movie to establish a connection with this guy. Because ScarJo isn't able to give enough emotion to make Dracov's survival be a reveal of any kind or have any kind of real emotional stakes to it. And we just needed more backstory. For me, there was a real lack of creative foundation for Dracov's return. He just comes back as the same person. He's unscathed somehow by that bomb. He's using the same name. Something like this was done much better in GoldenEye when Sean Bean came back as Yanis. I think there was a lot of potential there that the writers just didn't bother with. And that lack of effort just permeates the whole movie for me. I think the reason why they've done that is because at the end of the day, the villain is unimportant. 
the real crux of the movie is Yelena and Natasha's relationship and character growth. I also think Ray Winstone was miscast as Dracoff. So we see what he's doing to these girls. It's a monstrous thing that he's doing. And we're going to come to see that he's basically controlling the world with his widows. We see his huge map. He's got them all in place. He's got the ears of presidents, dictators, whatever they may be. And I didn't feel Ray Winstone had the presence or gravitas to build this character to what he needed to be. And it's not about size. I'm going to use Sons of the Lambs here as kind of a comparison example. So Anthony Hopkins is not a big man, but Hannibal Lecter is nonetheless one of cinema's most terrifying villains. I think he's still number one on the AFI list. It's an incredible performance. He's got that presence, but he also only has like 17 minutes of screen time in that movie. So Jonathan Demme used a lot of creative techniques to establish his monstrosity and make us absolutely terrified of Lecter before we even see him. He uses other actors to do it, dialogue, and design elements. Creating Lecter's cell, his super-tailored costume, and all of those things enhance Anthony Hopkins' performance and help to elevate the character. And I see that they tried to do the same thing here in Black Widow in that undeniably incredible cold open. However, Ray Winstone is overshadowed by those atmospheric elements, the Nirvana song, those absolutely fantastic child actors, the chaos of it all. It kind of just envelops him and the character got lost for me. So much so that during my first watch, by the end of the movie, I forgot we had seen him at all at the beginning. And it wasn't until my second watch that I was like, oh, we did see him. He was just of so little consequence among all those other elements, I forgot. You know, speaking of the cold open, I have to say it was absolutely fantastic. The beginning aspects in Ohio and the family dynamics and how they're all running away on the flight. I forgot we were watching a Marvel movie till I saw the shield logo on the cars during the chase scene. And it reminded me so much of the Americans. If you haven't seen the Americans, it's Matthew Reese and Kerry Russell who play Russian spies and they are kind of like in Black Widow. They're living uh, in America as Americans and they're married and they have children and they're doing their spy stuff on the side. And that's their main goal. And it's an it's a fantastic show. If you haven't seen it, absolutely watch it. It's amazing. And as for Dracov, if we had, you know, someone else with that kind of gravitas or the presence, it would have taken away one from the lead actor, because he probably would have outshined her, and we don't want that. And two, I think it turned out fantastically because yes, this guy is a man who controls the world and he has he can tell presidents and prime ministers and yada yada to do whatever he wants and he's this monster we we have this build-up to this guy as the most terrifying ruthless 
man that you would ever meet. He's a monster. But when we meet him and we see the way he's behaving with Natasha, we realize he's nothing. He's just a man. He's weak. He's a narcissist. He's desperate to get people to respect him. And he can't earn that. And that is the main lesson over here that we build something up in our minds. At the end of the day, whoever that person is, is still just a man. And that's key. That's probably the reason why he played the, the character this way. Okay. So, with that said, I don't think there was a buildup. That's my whole problem. So, what you just said there, and some of the things I read, it sounds a lot like people are saying they're playing 4D chess here. That's what it reminds me of when what I'm seeing is a, a tremendous amount of laziness on the part of the writers. So, continuing with Drakov and what he is supposed to be, for me, it came down to an issue of suspension of disbelief. So, when we first see the prison guard, hanging from his skinned back from the top of Hannibal Lecter's cell, like some kind of disgusting angel, we go with it. We're horrified. It is absolutely insane. And we are terrified of Dr. Lecter. It isn't until afterwards and after a couple of watches of Silence of the Lambs, we're like, he shouldn't be able to do that. Of course not. But it doesn't matter because the movie has earned it. So for me, Black Widow doesn't earn what Drakov is supposed to be. And the performances are so uneven that it can be difficult to tell what they want him to be. But the dialogue, the plot itself, bills him as a monster. And the problem is, one, we don't see nearly enough of him to warrant him being this megalomaniac. I'm also never afraid of him in any way. I was much more afraid of Obadiah Stane. And that's not about size. Yes, Jeff Bridges is a big dude, but he has that presence. When he screams at Peter Billingsley, it doesn't matter how many times I've seen Iron Man, I jump every time. And it is also not entirely Ray Winstone's fault. Because he is constrained by what I felt was poor direction, poor editing of all of those flashbacks during the big quote-unquote interrogation scene, and Scarlett Johansson's own limitations. I found her performance in that whole interrogation rather bizarre. Yeah, the editing for the whole flashbacks, the last 45 minutes that we have the sequence of plot twist, oh no, flashback. That's actually not what it is. We had this planned all along. Could have been done better. I feel like if they would have shown us the entire con, if you will, in one shot and then had a longer flashback showing us what Melina and Natasha had planned out, it would have worked out better, like how it's done in Ocean's Eleven. Because the constant intercutting does get a bit confusing at one point. Yes, Ocean's Eleven is another movie I will never get tired of watching. Yeah, it's amazing. And George Clooney, oh my God. Yeah, we're, le we're definitely looking at two different people in that movie.
Maybe I'm not yet 100% a lesbian. (laughs) All right. So you mentioned earlier about villains overshadowing heroes. And here's my problem. Is that I feel like this movie brings everyone down to a lower level to keep things easier and lazier instead of making a better movie that can elevate the entire story and elevate the whole cast. And I say that because oftentimes in really well done movies, Dark Knight is a perfect example, the villain can only be as strong as the hero. Now, there are exceptions to this. I would say the biggest one, probably uh, Sir Rickman in as, as the glorious sheriff of Nottingham. So it's not always the case. And Amy is right about one thing. They couldn't cast a heavyweight actor as Dracoff because of this poor script, the direction, and because Scarlett Johansson cannot go toe-to-toe with a great actor. Now, this is something that Joss Whedon understood when he was making The Avengers, and he used her accordingly. The writers and director here for Black Widow, they didn't understand why the interrogation scene in The Avengers worked so well. And that's why this attempted homage here just was completely dead in the water for me. So in The Avengers, while Loki was uh, in his rented room there, nothing is required of ScarJo. She basically just stands there. And Hiddleston did all the work. It is on him to sell that scene. He has to sell the notion that Loki has all the power here, he's in total control, and he's got the Avengers doing exactly what he wants. And it works for a few reasons. We've seen enough of him, even excluding the first Thor movie. I'm not talking about that. We've seen him enough in the first half of the Avengers that we understand how powerful he is. And we've seen the damage that he can do. And Hiddleston is also a great actor. He's got that presence. He's got that grand costume. He's got a significant height advantage over her. So so that even with the glass, he's getting in her face, towering over her, and he's got a great monologue to build to the climax of that scene. So when Natasha says there, thank you for your cooperation, we as the audience, we're confused right along with Loki. What? What what just happened? Because he had us sold through his own arrogance. It is a fantastic twist. ScarJo plays it perfectly, is used perfectly with that stoicism, and it is the turning point of the movie. Perfect. We also need to keep in mind that at that time, the reason why Scarlett Johansson was picked to be Black Widow and what was expected of her is very different from what is expected of her today. Yes. Or at least in this Black Widow movie. In that movie, she was just eye candy. She didn't need to do anything. And she was perfect for the role. You are correct, my dear. And I will address that in a little bit. Yeah. And now that we are expecting more of Natasha, we want to see more of Natasha. It's where we see that while Scarlett Johansson was perfect in 2010, 12, etc., etc., she's not that great for Natasha now. The character has grown more than the actor has. Well said. And 
that's the flow of this movie. Had it been anyone else playing Natasha, the depth that we get in the plot points over here when it comes to the abuse factors where social conditioning versus brainwashing and how Melina just can't seem to think of anything outside of what she's experienced. She's gone through the Black Widow program four times and yet is perfectly comfortable creating technology to help the Black Widow program or the Red Room. There's so much to mine over here in in, in terms of the characters and their mindsets and how they're able to overcome it and how how Natasha breaking away sort of helped them break away from their own thought processes. And of course, Yelena being the catalyst in all of this. So here's why this quote unquote interrogation scene in Black Widow did not work at all for me. So we already mentioned the problem with the flashbacks. Which is fair. But even bigger than that though, this time it's on ScarJo to sell this scene as a twist. And for me at least, she played it all wrong. So she is gleeful here. She's mocking him. She's egging him to hit her. Within five seconds, I knew immediately that she was playing him for some purpose because she is clearly the one in power through her attitude. And then towards the end of the scene, she even takes the physical position of power standing over Drakov at his desk. And so it's a combination of poor writing and editing and her performance that then causes a domino effect of Ray Winstone also playing this scene all wrong. He has this emotional outburst that was really out of place for me. And the violence also didn't make sense. This, to me, was a man not at all in control in any way which is the opposite of what he's been billed as all this time. So when Natasha says thank you for your cooperation with a big old smile on her face, that was not a twist for me in any way. I rolled my eyes. And then to make matters worse with Drakov, his death is almost an afterthought. There is zero emotional impact when we see him go up in flames. And if their intention with that is to try and say, oh, he didn't die again, he'll come back in the future, that doesn't work for me either. Because for see above reasons. <laughs> yeah, his death was a bit anticlimactic. I wasn't a fan. I would have loved it if we would have seen him being beaten up by all the other widows. Yes, that would have been some Sweeney Todd shit right there. And for those of you who have seen it, know what I'm talking about. When the guy who runs the quote, the so-called lunatic asylum there in London gets trapped in with all of the poor women who's he's in prison for so long, and they all just swoop in on him and just scratch and bite him to death. It's amazing. Yeah, and it also would have been as satisfying as Ramsay Bolton's death in Game of Thrones. But he had a pack of wolves that he used to let loose on his victims. And at the end of it, he was eaten by those same wolves. Oh, I think that was one episode I actually saw. Yeah, it was 
glorious and so, so satisfying. Unlike the finale, but let's not get there again. <laughs> if anyone is interested in creating a Game of Thrones support group, contact Amy. There are. Oh, there are. <laughs> I have no doubt there are many support groups out there. And what you mentioned about him, uh, about Dracov losing control and getting emotional and beating Natasha, I think, in fact, that is exactly the the clincher for me because he's absolutely not used to people challenging him what natasha said is true when was the last time you had a conversation with someone who wasn't forced to talk to you so for him to be challenged goes to show that all that mythos that he has around him that aura of oh i'm so powerful is a sham the minute he got challenged he became just your regular bully. That's the point of this character. He's nothing. He's created this persona that he's the smartest and the best and the this and the that. But he's nothing. He's a narcissist. Tomatoes, potatoes. I think it's tomatoes, tomatoes. It is. I say tomatoes, potatoes because we're not even talking about the same food. <laughs> All right, moving on here. I mentioned my issues involving suspension of disbelief with Dracov, but it's really so most of my issues with suspension of disbelief revolve around the action of the movie. Now, I love the MCU. Obviously, I run a Marvel podcast. I understand that these are comic book movies that require a significant amount of suspension of disbelief. No problem. But most of the other movies understand that, one, there is a line, and once you cross it, you really can't get people back, and two, you've got to be consistent, and that's a big problem here. So early on in the movie, uh, in Budapest, we see Natasha uh, changing her shirt, and she's got bruises all over her back, showing us oh, remember, this is Natasha Romanoff. Unlike most of the rest of the Avengers, she's just human. Problem is, literally in the next scene, we have her walking away unscathed from a fall in which she hits no less than three fire escapes and takes a tumble <laughs> that should either have her, have her fucking six feet under or in a coma for a good month. And once we get back into Dracov's office too, we have her being savagely beaten and she walks away without a scratch from that beating with nothing more than just a little blood and <laughs> this is <laughs> adjust the volume of your uh headphones people if you are wearing them but now i'm not a doctor and i don't even play one on tv but the last time i checked you can't sever a nerve to your brain by breaking your own nose and as for this pheromone lock business i'm just gonna leave it at that because i am about to reach a pitch that is going to potentially uh shatter my microphone that and probably scare your dogs yes and i will polish this off with a question for my dear co-host here amy i just want to double check 
did I miss a scene earlier in this film where Natasha Romanoff is bitten by a radioactive bird? No. I didn't think so. In which case, there is no conceivable way without any kind of special tech, without an Iron Man suit, without Sam's wings, nothing that would allow Natasha Romanoff to fucking fly, which is exactly what she does because we're not even pretending physics exists. Thank you. Good day. But she wasn't flying. Thank you. Good day. She wasn't flying. You and I have very different definitions of flying. I will leave it at that. <laughs> the whole firm on lock and the severing of the nerve, absolutely, yes, it's ridiculous. But there are tons of other ridiculous things in all the other movies, like the mask. It's ridiculous. The tech is ridiculous, but it's fun. And Natasha wasn't flying. She was falling stylishly. <laughs> <laughs> stylishly oh i am writing this down i'm putting this moment on my calendar no but she wasn't doing anything like she was diving down we saw her diving down we never saw her going up so she wasn't flying and she used the debris falling all around as jumping stones i suppose if you will and at the end of it all, she grabbed onto Taskmaster, and that's how she landed. Everyone, find us uh, at Marvel Madams on Twitter and Instagram. I would love to hear everyone else's thoughts about falling stylishly. <laughs> and remember, it was fun. <laughs> Amy and I also have very different definitions of fun. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of fun, if you're looking for a little more nerd-specific fun in your life, we have another podcast for you that fits the bill. Hey all, I'm Frank. Join me and my friends as we talk about all things geek. Here at Geek Freaks Podcast, we go over the weekly news of everything in geekdom, from movies to TV, to video games, and comic books. We also have a growing YouTube community. Join us as we go over everything in your geek life and share in the love of geekdom. All right. So I haven't mentioned Yelena yet. And let me just say, everybody, so you don't think I'm completely outright bashing this movie. I fucking loved Yelena. I think Florence mm -hmm. Pugh is fantastic. I cannot wait to see more of her. Mm -hmm. I came out of this movie wanting to adopt her. And I say that because she also reminds me so very much of my sister-in-law, who I first met when she was 15. And I text her and said, you have got to watch this movie. Yelena Belova is you all over again. And her response was, is she short with an attitude problem? <laughs> I said, yes. And I love her for it. And it is because I loved her so much that I was so frustrated with the movie. So... The MacGuffin here is essentially Yelena. It's this whole mind control plot. And I felt it was extremely rushed. After that incredible cold open, I felt like they gave us a different movie. It was like a bait and switch. I was very disappointed with the lack of depth, the lack of any kind of emotional core after that promising cold open. And, you know, Amy is right about the shows versus the movies, but some of the movies 
are so well done and they are deeper. More of a pond, shall we say, not the ocean that the shows are becoming. But then you have stuff like Thor the Dark World that is a puddle after a drizzle. And that's what I felt we got here. So for me, the writers robbed us of what could have been an incredible Yelena Belova origin story. We could have had something on par with Skyfall or Born Identity, even Captain America the First Avenger, in terms of like struggle, identity, sense of self. And those are movies that aren't even all that deep themselves. Skyfall gave us, you know, probably the deepest look we've ever gotten into James Bond, though, for those movies. Now, with the ending of this, enough time has passed in the MCU timeline that in order to deal with any of Yelena's like trauma and struggle in the right way to try and retcon that, they'll have to do another prequel movie. And it just complicates things. The slate is awfully packed now. And it just kills me because Florence Pugh is the best thing in this movie. And I felt like she was so wasted. I disagree. I Yes, I absolutely loved Yelena and Florence Pugh is fantastic and I cannot wait to see more of her. But I don't think that this was a wasted opportunity. This was her introduction. We can get a lot more of her, provided Florence Pugh sticks around, and get to know more of Yelena's history and trauma and everything. Take a look at Thor. We had Thor, Thor the Dark World, and then Ragnarok, and then Infinity War and Endgame. Look at how much Thor has changed in that and how they've addressed all the trauma that he's experienced throughout the Infinity Saga. And take a look at Loki, the show. We had an entire storyline with Loki from the first Thor movie till Infinity War where he died again and then we have Loki the show that has gone and addressed all of this and given us so much character growth for Loki that it seems unfair to say that Yelena was a wasted opportunity at this point there's so much potential for her character that I can't wait to see more of it and I can't see where they take her and just because we move ahead and we may or may not have a prequel movie does not mean that they can't address her trauma moving forward. Her trauma is not going to disappear in five years, especially after knowing that her sister's dead. Well, speaking of her sister, I think Black Widow does a disservice to Natasha too. Now, I don't fault Marvel for trying to right a wrong and how they dealt with Natasha's character over the years. But for me, the way they did this shortchanged both Yelena and Natasha. Yelena for the reasons I just said. And Natasha, because this movie puts a huge spotlight on Scarlett Johansson's shortcomings. And that did not happen to Chris Hemsworth in Thor The Dark World. Okay, That was not the case. In a lot of ways, Watching this, I felt like this movie was kind of a fuck you to ScarJo in a number of ways. Whether it was 
intentional, unintentional, I don't know. Whether she had the self-awareness to realize it, I'm not sure. It makes me wonder what kind of stories we're going to hear about in 20, 25 years. Overall, I think Marvel should have apologized, done a big mea culpa for the past mistakes they made with Natasha. Cut their losses, say we've learned our lessons, we're doing better, here's how we're doing better, you know, do a showcase of everything that's coming for women in the future, and they've done a great job with Wanda Maximoff, and they should have just made an incredible Yelena Belova origin movie and focused on her. And I understand that a lot of people wanted the Black Widow movie to be made, but I feel like Marvel should have been more like a responsible parent in that regard and said, we're sorry, we made a mistake. The way to do better is to move forward. Sometimes you shouldn't always give the kids what they want because this movie came off for me as, you know, you've got a kid screaming at the grocery store that they want a candy bar. And the parent just says, okay, fine, here it is. And just takes the easy way out to get the kid to shut up. Maybe a candy bar is not the right thing, something healthy, because it is a good thing that people wanted a Black Widow movie. Absolutely. But Marvel should have taken the hit there saying, we fucked up and done better with a different character. And also cut off from Scarlett Johansson sooner for reasons I will address shortly. Can you imagine the backlash that Marvel would have had to, would have, had to face if they would have done that? We all wanted a Black Widow movie, especially after her death in Endgame. I mean, you say that, but to be perfectly honest, I was done with her. I was fine with her ending. I wasn't looking for a Black Widow movie because she's never given me that emotional connection that all the other characters have given me. And I don't mean just the big players. I felt a lot more connection with Nebula even than I ever did with Natasha. So I wasn't clamoring for a Black Widow movie just for the sake of, you know, having another female-led movie. And that that's my big issue is that if you're going to do it, do it for the right reasons and do it well. Do it properly. Want to do it really well. And that's where this fell flat for me. I wanted a Black Widow movie and I was very, very unhappy when she died. I wanted Hawkeye to die. I wanted Natasha to stick around because I connected with her in certain ways. We've always had these hints about her rough childhood and the Red Room and all of that. And yeah, obviously I've not gone through any of that, but I know what it's like to live in a fucked up situation, to grow up in a fucked up situation. So I connected with her and I wanted to see more of her. Had this movie not happened, there would have been a shit ton of backlash for Marvel and we would have never known what Scarlett Johansson's shortcomings were or are rather because she didn't have that much to do in the other movies. We always felt like there was amazing potential for Natasha and Natasha's story. The problem here in this movie is not Natasha and her story. 
it's Scarlett Johansson's inability to portray that story. And we would never have realized that had we not got this movie. And we would always have wanted this. So yes, Marvel gave us what we wanted. And it also gave us an opportunity to shut up. Because five, seven years down the line, from now, anytime we would have a female-led movie, we would always say we never got a Black Widow movie. And we always wanted a Black Widow movie. Now, everyone would finally shut up and say, yes, we got a Black Widow movie. Some loved it, some didn't. And that's fine. And why on earth will Marvel, or any company for that matter, leave money on the table? They knew that the Black Widow movie would do well, and it has done well. Why would they let that opportunity go? It makes perfect business sense for them to do it. Irrespective of whether they knew Scarlett Johansson's abilities or not, they gave us what they wanted. They got what they wanted too. And now we can move forward without having Natasha's ghost haunting Marvel all the time. So there is a flip side to this. And the whole business of leaving money on the table. I think for a little while now, Marvel has been between a rock and a hard place because of Scarlett Johansson. And it's more than a lack of connection I had with Natasha that I was sad to see her go. That's not to say I didn't like the character, okay? Amy will tell you, I have a little monster named Natasha downstairs who has a Black Widow ID <laughs> tag. Yeah. Okay? I am not sorry to see Scarlett Johansson go. She's a bit of a problem child. And she has been for a while now. I understand that it's often important and necessary to separate the artist from the work, but there's a few issues I have here. So first of all, ever since she started in the MCU, ScarJo has shown a real disinterest in the MCU in general, lack of connection, investment, and it's very noticeable when she's on press tours with her co-stars who are much more invested. And I'm not saying they all have to be mega nerds and constantly out there with the fans, but she doesn't even try. And when you're part of something of this scale, of this magnitude, you got to make some effort. You got to at least try to fake it a little bit. And <laughs> she doesn't have the skills to do that. And the lack of investment she has in her character in the MCU, it shows through on screen, just like those who have much more investment that shows through and enhances their performances. I mean, look at Elizabeth Olsen and just the choreography she did on her hands alone. That woman talks about her various wigs like they're her children. <laughs> and what does she get for that? a well-deserved Emmy nomination, you know? And another part of this is Scarlett Johansson's hypocrisy. So she has been public lately discussing how sexualized Natasha was, uh, particularly back in Iron Man 2. Granted, she was. She's totally right. The problem is, for Black Widow, they brought her on as an executive producer, and it doesn't matter if that was a symbolic gesture or not. The fact is, after all this time, she had the most creative control that she's ever had over her character. And 
Amy really took one for the team, guys. She did some <laughs> in-depth research for all of you. Okay? The thing she does for this podcast. Amy, do tell us how many close-ups of Scarlett Johansson's ass were in this movie. Now, before I say that, I have to say, it would be unfair for me to just look at Scarlett Johansson's ass in this movie. I had to look at everyone's ass. Again, just taking bullets left and right. Absolutely. So I don't know if you guys noticed it, but we certainly noticed that there were a significant amount of ass close-up shots in this movie. So I started a counter during my second watch. And here's the final tally. For Rachel Weisz, zero. Except for the one random while she's walking away, which doesn't really count. No, because she's just walking away. Yes. For David Harper, four ass shots. God, why? <laughs> they have to show the costume. Come on. For Florence Pugh, four ass shots. And drum roll. <laughs> and for Scarlett Johansson, 12. 12 close-up ass shots. And not only that, but her costumes are noticeably tighter than Florence Pugh's. Yes, as is Rachel Weiss's, And that's not to say that Florence Pugh doesn't have an amazing body. They could have done the same thing with her. They could have given her a similar costume. Rachel Weiss too. Yes, like we've seen Scarlett Johansson's, but they chose to go in a different way. Florence Pugh's costume absolutely looks like, like a fighter's uniform. It's believable that she can do everything that she does. Rachel Weiss as well. Yes, her costume is similar to Scarlett Johansson's, but it's nowhere as sexualized as Scarlett's is in this movie. And by comparison, this costume that she's wearing is far less sexualized than what we saw in Iron Man 2 and the Avengers and yada yada. Absolutely. Yes, I agree. But she could have told the director, the DP or whoever else was in charge of, hey, get off my ass. Exactly. And we've seen other Marvel actresses do this. Elizabeth Olsen had them change her neckline for her Scarlet Witch costume so that she wasn't showing the girls all over the place. And mm -hmm. Sophia DiMartino, also for her Sylvie costume, told them, I'm not wearing a leotard. I need something loose, something I could actually believably be on the run in. So Sylvie has an awesome fighter's costume. Yeah, absolutely. And important to note here, Sophia DiMartino is brand new to Marvel and pretty much a no-name coming into her first Marvel production. And one thing I actually noticed was that I'm sure everyone remembers she put out a picture of her showing her costume and how there were zippers so that she could breastfeed. If you look at that picture and you look at her in the show, in costume, in full costume, it's physiological when women are breastfeeding, their breasts look larger. They could have easily capitalized on that in the show, but they didn't. You're absolutely right. And I hadn't thought of that. And the last thing for me, when it comes to separating the artist from their work, everybody has a line and ScarJo crossed mine last year. So those final lines that Natasha says to Drakov really took me out of the movie when she says, you stole my childhood. 
you know, you stole my choices and you're never going to do that again. I just shook my head and wondered how many takes of that they had to do figuring that ScarJo's pants kept catching on fire because Scarlett Johansson believes that a man who preys on little girls is a monster unless his name is Woody Allen. And there's a difference between working with that man years ago. Certainly, plenty of people have. But there's a difference between just working with him and moving on and saying very recently, I love him, I believe him, I'll work with him anytime. And that I cannot move past. Yeah, I agree. Scarlett Johansson has a tendency to put a foot in her mouth. Absolutely. We all know about her issues as well with being so blasé about playing characters that are not supposed to be white. She is problematic, undoubtedly. And for me, Black Widow is more about Natasha than it is about ScarJo. To be fair, I wouldn't be surprised the reason why Natasha was killed in Endgame was because of the trouble that ScarJo keeps getting into with the press and saying stuff like this. We know how Disney can be with the reputation of the people that they're working with. And firing Scarlett Johansson would have created a major backlash. So this movie is our way of telling Natasha goodbye. Had I wished that Scarlett Johansson would have been able to give her a stronger goodbye? Absolutely. But for what it is, the movie, I think it was a good Marvel movie. Certainly not top 10, but it was a good movie. And in the bargain, we've got Florence Pugh now who is an amazing actor, and Yelena is a very relatable character that we've all fallen in love with pretty much instantly. So overall, this movie is a net positive for me. And all the women. I love the women. Give me more women. I do feel kind of bad that I have ruined Florence Pugh for my husband in any way because of, because of comparing her to his sister. <laughs> Yeah, you're a monster. I've taken that you're away from you. monster. <laughs> I mean, it's not my fault. They even look alike. Sorry, babe. And it's tough because he's losing his own hall pass now with, uh, with mm -hmm. Natasha leaving things. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Obviously, my husband and I have different lines. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I kind of understand where he's coming from. <laughs> And yes, I know that sounds hypocritical for all that for all that I say on this podcast. Don't worry. As far as I know, Natalie Dormer hasn't killed any puppies, hasn't set any homeless people on fire. <laughs> I think you're good. Yeah. Miss Dormer, if you're listening, please be good. <laughs> I feel the same way. Every time a new story comes out about what a wonderful human being Tom Hiddleston is, I say, please don't have a woman in a box somewhere. Please. <laughs> No, in all seriousness, can you imagine if that was tr if that actually happened? The internet would break. Stop! Stop! That's not funny. Stop! There'd be pu bodies piling up <laughs> on the on, on that the streets. That would be a major problem for me in my life. Okay. <laughs> 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 
And like people would be jumping off buildings. They would not die. They'd break bones because the piles would be so high. Don't worry if there's a fire if there's a fire escape and they hit it, they'll be fine. Because people can survive that. <laughs> All right. So that is how we both feel about Black Widow. And we have a little announcement here because Black Widow is the first in a whole bunch of new Marvel movies that are coming out. And we're looking forward to covering them all, but asterisk. Yeah, so thanks to the situation the way it is, I am not able to go and see the movies in the theaters. And the reason why we were able to cover cover Black Widow so soon was because it came out on Premiere Access. And the other movies are not coming out on Premiere Access, unfortunately. So... We will wait till the movies are out on digital platforms before we can give our review. So from what we know, from the date of release to releasing the digital versions of the movies is a gap of 45 days. Yeah, so between seeing the movie and getting the recording done, it'll take us about two months to bring you guys an episode after the movie comes out. Yeah, and you know... To be perfectly honest, I would love to do the movies as soon as they come out. I really would. But it's just the situation as is, at least for this year. Who knows what the next year holds? Hopefully things are better and I'm vaccinated by then. Yeah, so figure figure on this happening, guys, at least for uh, Shang-Chi, Eternals and Spider-Man. Yeah. So one of the things I thought was excellent in Black Widow, like Amy mentioned, is the stunt work. Yeah. So we are very, very excited to have Cece Ice. She was one of the stunt women in the movie. That's right. And she is also Elizabeth Olsen's primary stunt double. And she has done so for several movies now, as well as WandaVision. And she will be Olsen's double for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I can't wait for that one. Yeah. You guys do not want to miss this. Now, in the meantime, let us know, people, whose side are you on? Hashtag Team Chris or Hashtag Team Amy. You can let us know on Twitter or Instagram at Marvel Madams. Thanks to all you madams for joining us today. I'm Madam Chris. And I'm Madam Amy. And visit us on our website, themarvelousmadams.com where infinity stones are a girl's best friend. God damn it. I'm sorry. Sorry, did you hear that? I'm, I'm away from the yes. microphone. I'm like fucking Gator Loki over here. Jesus Christ. You're not Gator Loki. You're one of the pigs. <laughs> I'm like two feet away from the microphone. <laughs> Damn it! I was I moved away! <laughs> it's gonna sulk. <laughs> I think you need to go out of the room for this. <laughs> <laughs>